34 years later, it's still known as one of the hardest games of all time. Modern gaming is more complex in every which way, and yet we all still look back on this difficult game with a certain fondness just over how hard it was. Beating it was an accomplishment that not many of us knew. For its time, it looked good, but it played even better. And best of all, you could play with a friend simultaneously. When Contra was released for the NES in February of 1988, this was practically unheard of. People died left and right, and when they ran out of lives, they could steal one from their buddy. Yet another reason why Contra was so different. What it was best known for, though, was the way in which most of us managed to fight through its alien hordes. The Konami Code. It is perhaps the most famous cheat code in all of video game culture. Today we're going to be taking a look back at Contra and talking about the legacy it left behind with popularizing the Konami Code. We'll talk about cheat codes as we look back at the history of cheating in video games, a history that goes all the way back to the mid-1970s. Curious to learn more? Join us as we talk Contra and cheating on today's trip down memory card lane. Good afternoon and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 25th episode of our Video Game Nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we take a look back at the current week in gaming history, we pick an important release during it, we talk about it, we teach you something about the world with it, we use it to share stories about how you feel about gaming, how gaming has affected our lives. We're just a regular variety show over here. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, who can frequently be found at my side helping to stave off the waves of invading aliens, my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, how do you do it? Isn't it tiring always fighting off the aliens? Oh, of course it is, Dave. But you know, with a little perseverance and a ton of ammo, you get through it. Yeah, I... I really don't think the aliens would bother us right now with everything going on in the world i would think that they take one look at what's going on and be like nope fuck that i'm out peace would probably be the right call yeah probably so february of 1987 we're heading back to yours truly was turning three popular shows included who's the boss the wonder years growing pains and the cosby show it really does feel like a, a whole different time. It, much more classic than it actually is, but it's not. The number one song on the radio was Open Your Heart by Madonna when the month began and Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi when it ended. And a little thing for you, Rob, uh, that was the month that Bill Elliott won the Daytona 500. Nice. Not surprised. And just to kind of give you all an idea on how different the world was, on February 7th of that year, a very special episode of a show named Valerie would air. In it, two characters would have a debate about whether or not to have sex and discuss using a condom in the process. This would be the first time that a condom was talked about on a primetime TV show, and it was so controversial that some NBC affiliates refused to air the episode. Wow. that's uh definitely a different world but it was also 34 years ago (laughs) 
Yeah, it was a long time ago. And so it was that on February 20th, 1987, that the arcade version of Contra was released to the world. The version that is so near and dear to all of us, the NES version, would be released a year later in February of 1988. And so here we are, Contra, also known as Grizzor or Probotector in Europe, is a run-and-gun action video game. Run-and-gun games are shooter games in which the protagonist fights on foot and is also usually able to jump. And this would be the first of 15 games in the series, the latest of which, Contra Rogue Corpse, was released in 2019. 2019 was also the year that Konami, the publisher uh, of the game, celebrated its 50th anniversary. And as part of said celebration, they released a Contra anniversary collection for the PS4, the Xbox One, Steam, and the Switch. Now, Rob. You and I recently bought that anniversary collection for the Switch so that we could play back through the games in preparation for this episode. Did you make some time to play this game, Rob? Whoops. (laughs) I knew there was a game that I needed to play. (laughs) Did you remember that I made you buy it on your Switch? I do now. Obviously, you didn't. Do you remember what other game we bought alongside it that that was a part of that same game? anniversary collection wolfenstein uh-uh damn i felt it, it's in that style of game though it's uh, uh hold on uh-uh. don't, don't, don't tell me that it's uh it's another one we're gonna talk about on the show it's another konami title resident evil nah it was castlevania that's it see wolfenstein castlevania i know they're both castles castles i'll give you that i'll definitely give you that that's okay. And werewolf, vampire, you know, wolf. Have you That's played a have you played a Contra game? I have played the original Contra on NES. Well, right. I've played the NES release of Contra. Okay. All right. So we're we're good. We we have familiarity with it. You know, I I'm not going to lie. I uh when I revisit these classic games, part of me expects them to be easier. I mean, I what, have over 30 years of gaming experience by now. Surely with 30 years of gaming skill and gaming wisdom and all that would allow me to go back to all these older games and demolish them. I mean, wouldn't you think that's the case? I mean, once a mediocre gamer, always a mediocre gamer. Oh, ah, ah, ah. But, you know, just not all games are made to the same caliber. You know, some of them were even today by today's standards, really freaking hard. Yeah. And uh, this is all of them. This is definitely one of them. <laughs> this is this is this is one of them. This is indeed one of them. This typically, not typically, it is usually included in discussion of hardest games to beat of all time. Now I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking right now. Whenever I talk about hardest games of all time, you immediately go to Dark Souls, right? 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 I mean, no. Yeah. Whatever. Battletoads. Ooh, Battletoads, yeah. How far <laughs> would you say you've gotten into this game? Uh, yeah, I, I, I probably haven't even beaten the first level. All right. Le- well, legitimately, I should say. Well, that's going to play into this next part really well, because I'm going to go on a limb here and say that there are generations of gamers, you included, that only understand half the story because they've only played a short way into the game. Yeah, I would probably agree. 
Do you remember by chance what the box art for this game looks like? Uh, I believe it's like some little alien dude with uh, a couple of military guys look like they're fresh out of Vietnam. Yeah. Any idea where said alien dude comes from? Uh, I'm going to guess alien. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's exactly my point. Everybody knows the first level of this game. First couple levels of this game, realistically, which is just soldiers fighting other soldiers, right? Yep. That's as far as I've ever gotten. Yeah, unless you play far into this game, you probably have no clue whatsoever where that alien comes from. Am I right? I, I honestly, I just knew the box art was weird because I was always like, "What's with the alien? Like, is the alien guns are shooting? Are they like alien power ups? What is going on?" But well, uh, yeah, I'm gonna tell you. I am going to tell you. Let's talk about the plot. And for starters, I want to talk about the fact that there are continuity differences between the version we're used to and pretty much every other version of the game. So based on the version we're used to, we're led to believe that these games happened in 1987 in the Amazon jungle. However, every other version of the game and then subsequent titles in the series pretty much corrected this. So we're going to talk about pretty much the timeline and the story that's that's the Contra series for reals and not not what they decided to localize us for the very first game. Got it? Makes Got sense. it. Okay, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. All it, right. does. it makes sense. So Contra is supposed to be set in the distant future of the year 2633 where the evil Red Falcon organization has set a base on the fictional Galuga Archipelago near New Zealand in a plot to wipe out humanity. Two commandos, Bill Riser and Lance Bean of the Earth Marine Corps Contra unit are sent to the island to destroy the enemy forces and find out about the alien influence. Uh, That's it. Find out about the alien influence. So, you know, it's really fascinating to me that they use the word Contra, right? Because contra is a prefix that means against or opposite, which which kind of makes sense, you know, in this context, but more more so because the time period in which it was used. So contra was also the name of all the guerrilla forces in Nicaragua and then eventually other uh, South American countries that opposed their governments through the 80s, specifically Nicaraguan ones that opposed their governments through the 80s. So Contra kind of became synonymous with these guerrilla forces, which is more than likely why it became the title of this game. But I just think it's the word Contra, the like the Iran-Contra affair was all going on through this time. And here they go. Well, we're just going to use the word Contra. I, w- I would think that it would be controversial, but it, it it's not like it was today where people get offended by everything. So ha, get it, folks. Contraversal. <laughs> and I'm sure Dave didn't even catch that. I didn't at all. <laughs> unintended, nice. unintended puns are fun. <laughs> so here we have the protagonists, Bill Riser and Lance Bean, or as the United States version called them, Mad Dog and Scorpion. It gets really confusing too because Mad Dog and Scorpion uh, are different people in the actual Contra timeline in later versions. It's just really, really weird. And then you have the Red Falcon organization. So Red Falcon is an evil organization set on taking over the world. And it's an alien organization. 
which kind of brings us to the last boss of the game. I mean, it's not really a spoiler. In the United States version, Red Falcon is the name of the final boss. In other versions, Red Falcon is the organization, and the final boss is named appropriately. So the last level or two levels of the game are actually the boss. And the first one, you fight him, and he looks like this, like, it looks like it's like aliens, like that alien mouth that comes jutting out of the person's body in the actual movie Alien. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. That's the first thing you fight, and that's like coming down from the ceiling. And in all all the games and the other games that he's called Emperor Dragon, Emperor Demon, Dragon God Java. And then once you defeat the mouth, you go deeper into the alien because it's like the doorway, I guess you could say, until you come to his heart. And that's the last, last boss of the game. And that boss's name is called Emperor Demon Evil Heart Gamera Masking. I, I don't know. It's weird. I, here, the box art has an alien on it. And it's really weird because it's only stages seven and eight because there's only eight levels. There's no, it's only ages seven and eight, which which are the alien two bosses that have aliens in them. Ages. The rest ages, Dave. You said ages. Stages only stages seven and eight that have aliens in them. Alien enemies. You have these little scorpion alien enemies. These little mouth things that shoot at you, and you have the bosses around you. But every Every stage one through six are soldier on soldier. So it's just kind of bizarre, you know? Absolutely. Kind of bizarre. And hard. We keep talking about it being difficult, and it was tough, man. I I did actually beat it. Uh, It took me like 90-some lives, but I beat it. (laughs) Because you can keep continuing. I continued at least three times with 30 lives each. 30 lives? Holy crap. I have two. Yeah, well, we'll get to that in just a moment. We will get to that in just a moment. Contra was a really, really popular game. Did you know that? I mean, I figure everyone knows Contra, but it was really popular. Absolutely, I'm sure. You know, it's uh, it's one of those games that you want to be able to beat, so you just keep playing and playing and playing, and, you know, it's a status symbol if you can win. Or it was, I'm sure. Not so much anymore. Well, it was also a game that had two-player gameplay, simultaneous two-player gameplay. That was pretty uncommon back in 1988. There weren't, there, there just weren't. You had multiplayer games, but you took turns, and and this one you could play at the same time. Not only could you play at the same time, but it, it's a solid multiplayer game. You know, other games that would do it, the games would slow down, or you would lose things in the multiplayer. But this game. You didn't lose anything. This game is solid, felt solid, controlled solid, and that didn't change when you were doing two-player uh, simultaneous gameplay. Do you remember the live ceiling? Do you ever play it two-player for starters? I have not. No. No. So I've you haven't. So you've never. You've never got to experience the live ceiling deal in it. Uh, no. No, I have not. Yeah. So if you're playing in two-player mode. When one player runs out of lives, they can take the other player's lives to to keep playing. And like we don't we didn't know what it was at first. It was confusing. But then once 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 you know what it is, it kind of becomes a a bit of argument. Like, do you take your partner's lives? Do you not take your partner's lives? Like you you get what I'm saying? Absolutely. It, It was kind of it was kind of nifty. But, you know, people liked it. It is considered one of the best multiplayer NES games. Nintendo Power ranked it 
their seventh best NES games of all time. And, and Game Informer has it on their list of best games ever at number 13. Would you would you put it up there on a list of best games ever? I mean, I haven't played a ton of it, so I really can't say for certain. But I do think it's uh, definitely, like I said, it's one of those games that you just want to keep playing because it's so difficult. And like you, you have trouble beating it, so you want to prove that you can beat it. So you keep trying, trying again, again, again. It's not a long game. It's not. It it was 30, 40 minutes it took me to beat it. If that, it's not a long game. It's I yeah. Had no idea. I know. I, I I mean it's hard. So we've never got into it. So everyone just kind of assumes it. You know, it's it's difficult and long. But you got to think it was an arcade port, and arcade games weren't designed to be very long because people would pump quarters in and. You don't want them to take it up for hours. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, it was it was short. I I uh, I, I know it couldn't have been more than thirty or forty minutes. It took me to beat it. What's what's the official uh, length of time on this one? What do you mean? Like so far? So according to according to. 170 people who polled here on how long to beat.com. It takes between 40 minutes and one hour to beat. Main story is about an hour. So maybe it was an hour. I don't think it was that long for me, though. All right, moving on. What I would argue basically is that Contra is perhaps most well known for yet another reason. Yes, it was a good game. Yes, it was an NES multiplayer phenomenon and everything. But I think that for a lot of people, later generations, you guys are going to know it for a different reason. And that is popularizing the Konami code, right? Absolutely. Eh, you know what time it is, Rob. Do I, Dave? Yeah, it's time for another lesson. Uh-oh, what's this lesson going to be? Is it something along the lines of two up, two down, left, right, left, right, BA start? It is, actually. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So the Konami code, as you so properly just gave us, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, is only one cheat code among a whole history of cheating in video games. And we're going to look back at cheating in video games in its entirety. So let's head back to the beginning, shall we? That we shall, Dave. Let's go. So nowadays, it's fair to say that nobody likes a cheater, right? I mean, the cheaters like them. (laughs) I mean, the... Those who play fairly. Yeah, exactly. Those who play fairly do not like them. Let's be honest. So right now, an overwhelming number of popular video games are online competitive games, correct? Absolutely, that is correct. And so people don't typically like being left at an unfair disadvantage by cheaters. Yeah, that that is correct. Cheaters are looked down upon. We don't we don't nowadays we use what we use aimbots and I, I don't even know because I don't even look at them. But I know aimbots are one of them. What other kind of cheats do people use? Wall hacks, like being able to see through walls, being able to just know where everything is on a certain map. If it's a game that has like gear that spawns invincibility so they don't take damage and i'm sure there's there's plenty more you know yeah throwing the football super far (laughs) very true so before online gaming though cheat codes were and they still are to a certain extent malt and single player games they're they're fairly common in video games 
and at one time it was it was fun for the community to come together and pull these cheats out of their favorite games. So one of the earliest cheat codes that I could find for a video game was found in a text adventure called Colossal Cave Adventure that was published for the PDP-10 way back in 1976. You know, we'll have to cover Colossal Cave Adventure someday because it's an influence to a lot of a lot of modern games. In in this game, the word XYZZY, I'm going to call it Zizzy because it sounds like Zizzy to me, was used to teleport players between two locations and only these two locations. When you tried to use the word otherwise, the game would produce the response, nothing happens. And this code would allow players to skip a large portion of the game, right? Right. And so it's often thought that the earliest cheat codes, including this one, are designed to allow playtesters to progress further into the game or skip early progression to test later parts of the game. They were either just left in, assuming that no one would find them, or sometimes left in because there was simply no time to cut them out when you're trying to meet deadlines to get a game out there. So one of the earliest games to acknowledge this as cheating was Manic Miner on the ZX Spectrum. So Manic Miner is a platforming video game in which a miner has to make his way through 20 different caverns collecting objects before his oxygen runs out. And in the ZX Spectrum version of the game, you could enter the numerical sequence 6031769, which was believed to be the main programmer's driver's license number, and you would gain unlimited lives. So little Easter egg and cheat code in one. Gamers, though, were finding ways to cheat or manipulating their games by just poking around in the game's code. And I'm, I'm serious when I say poking around. In high-level programming languages used during the 8-bit computer era, like BASIC, the commands peek and poke were used to cheat in video games. Hmm? 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 Mm. Do you ever have to take a BASIC programming class? I studied Java and uh, machine language for uh, microcontrollers. I learned BASIC way back when it was a thing during this 8-bit era. And then I had to learn a newer version of basic when I was in high school for our class too. Anyway, the, the command peak was used to look at a specific address of memory. And by peeking at memory, computer users could see what numbers were changing as they went through the game. And so they could determine what game stats were found at which memory address. And then once they knew the memory address that the game stat was located in, they could use the, they could use the command poke to modify it. Okay. So let me give you an example. So let's assume that lives are located at a memory address. We're just going to assign it a number. It's 10. It could be, for all we know, 65,041. But for our for our purpose right now, it's memory address 10. Okay? Okay. When you first load a game, classic game, into your memory, it's going to be as it's programmed. And when you first locate, when you first load the game, that address has a value of 2 which is going to be two lives. You could load the game into memory, and then you could use poke to modify the number two to say 99, and then you'd start the game with 99 lives. Does that make sense? Yep. Or you could take it one step further. You could find the instances in which lives are taken away. So for a platformer, the game would be programmed like this. If player falls down a hole, reset position and subtract one from lives. Or if the player gets hit by an enemy, reset position and subtract one from lives. 
But in the poke example, you could change the subtraction to look like if player falls down the hole, reset position and subtract zero from lives, or the same with being hit by the enemy. And then essentially you've created infinite lives by making sure that no lives get taken away when they would normally be taken away. Make sense? Sure does. Really simple. That's a really simple way. But essentially with most computer programs, you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of lines of code and finding these weren't as simple as just finding it a 10 but that's essentially how they work changing changing these numbers in the memory to change the game to to your liking and these 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 pokes were like actual cheat codes you know and as they became more popular they would grace the pages of your local gaming magazine pokes they were kind of intricate though you know, they require users to have a knowledge of programming languages and, and they really weren't spelled out. And so soon what would happen was that the world would get hardware devices that would plug directly into the computers and they would take a snapshot of the current memory and allow them to modify it and load it back up. For instance, the ZX Spectrum, which was the system that Manic, Manic Miner used, had one called the Multiface. And it plugged into the expansion port on the back of the ZX Spectrum and had a big red button on the top. And so, you know, it would, someone would hit the button, it would freeze the memory, you know, download it into the cartridge. They could then use a program to modify it and zip it back. And then essentially, you know, you would, you would do the same thing. And as the Spectrum's upgraded and the memory got larger, you got new versions of the multi face to accommodate that. So it, it, it upgraded with it. The Commodore 64 had something similar called a freezer cartridge or the Commodore period. And the Ataris had what uh, are, were nicknamed the Darth Vader cartridges. They were blank cartridges uh, with a programmable chip inside, a PROM, PROM. These hardware multi-face type units would eventually evolve into the hardware cheaters for the console era that we probably know. And these are the Game Genie, the Action Replay, and the Game Shark. Did you ever play with any of those, Rob? I have used Game Sharks in the past. Yeah, yeah. So I remember the Game Genie. Game Genie would be a just a device that you would slide your NES cartridge onto, and then it would plug into the um, it plug into the NES, and you'd have all these books you could buy that would have all the Game Genie codes to change all the same stuff, your lives, your damage taken for RPGs, your levels, your money, your, your stuff like that. It was, it was, um, it's huge. And then later as things went on, we had tips and tricks and code books and other stuff for the game. Genie, the action replay and, and the game shark. I think the PS4 still has one of those called the exploder, but I think modern ones can modify save files is how the modern ones work. But yeah, so we got modern hardware cheating. And then as home PCs modernized and programming became more complex, you know, we got away from basic. So poke and peek were gone and games went from, you know, a hundred lines of code, then thousands of lines of code, then hundreds of thousands and then millions. Essentially, the PC side of cheating had to change, too. So we got PC trainers, which are essentially like poke and peek except someone's done all that work for you to find out where the stats are. And they program basically a program that when you hit, you know, a certain button, it changes those stats for you. 
one of the most popular essentially universal trainers out there is called cheat engine it's still used to this day and it's essentially the same thing um it disables runtime memory and it lets you modify it before enabling it again and so you have this huge community of people that just you know find out where these stats are and how you modify them and then they publish them as basically um like loadable importable what's the word i'm looking for profiles for cheat engine that work with pretty much all modern games they're all over the place basically so modern pc games also throw back to the original concept of cheat codes some have cheat codes and then some have the console commands which are basically uh, you can open up a console and 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 enter in commands that are basically cheat codes they were put in there to allow playtesters to get through portions of the game. Rob, have you ever messed around with console commands? Yeah, I've used them a few times here and there. I mean, some games you use console commands simply to adjust brightnesses, adjust the brightness in the game. They're yeah. very true. Yeah, yeah. So console commands are still around. I I mean, there's there's games that have them. Uh, Terraria. Any uh, Look... Any game that you do multiplayer that has a server pretty much has console commands built into it related to modifying that server. It, it can be Arc, Arc does, doesn't it? Absolutely, it does. You can turn damage on and off, for instance. Yeah, you can turn on God mode. You can speed up. Well, depending on if you're what type of server it is, you can adjust the speed. Uh, you can force spawn items force destroy items there's a lot of things you can do you can force tame gotcha there's just a lot of different things you can do with it gotcha 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 so so you have cheats early on in the console years we had passwords passwords are pretty much the same thing they're just you know the the programmers left in modifiable parts of the game and those passwords tell the program what to change basically that could be your place and the amount of lives you have and, you know, the amount of this item you have or that item you have. That's that's really all a, a password is, is essentially what a poke was, you know, and then some some games use pretty innovative ways to use cheats or passcodes. I, I don't know if you ever knew this, but in the original Legend of Zelda, for instance, if you actually put your name in as Zelda, you would begin the game at the second quest. And if you don't know what the second quest is, it's essentially master mode. You know, the dungeons are rearranged. There are different locations. The items that you get are different. And there's usually more than one boss in each dungeon instead of one. There's a we should if we ever do an episode on Legend of Zelda, there's a really funny story about where the second quest came from, which is. Basically, just a fuck up. Someone only it is someone only used half the memory when they were designing the dungeons, like it was just a mistake. And so they were like, well, why don't we double the number of dungeons? And then the idea came from, well, why don't we make a second quest, which is a different game, but the same game. And well, that will be an interesting one for then, but for now back to Contra. Well, and here we are speaking of Contra. We're back around to the Konami code, right? Perhaps the most well-known cheat in all of video games. I actually think it is the most well-known cheat in all of video games. In fact, it's a pop culture thing now, you know? It's been referenced in Family Guy and Archer. It was used in, in Wreck-It Ralph. The code itself is the title of the songs by the, the Deftones. And there have been 
it itself has been featured in the lyrics to songs by the Moldy Peaches, the electrical electronic artist Technicolor, Bears and Trees, and the Gothisticles. I just wanted to say Gothisticles. I mean, where else do you have a reason to say Gothisticles? I can't say you have any reason to say that at all. I know. But where did the Konami code come from? Well, the first game to feature the Konami code was Gradius in 1986, and it was created by Kazusa Hashimoto. And it's fitting that we're here talking about it right now, because the day that this recording releases will be one week shy of the one year anniversary of his death. And so we honor his memory by talking about the, his contribution to the gaming community that he is most well known for. Right? Right. So Hashimoto was working on the port of Gradius from its arcade version to the NES, and he knew the arcade version of the game. And like so many of us that recognize our mediocrity as gamers, as you already called me a mediocre gamer, this is true. Hashimoto knew that he wouldn't be able to finish the game. And so he added a sequence of buttons that he could easily remember that would give his ship the full range of power-ups so that he could easily complete the game for in-house testing purposes. That code was that code was pretty easily found once Gradius was released, and it became popular as a sequence to be used in future Konami titles. And so we're here now talking about the game and that perhaps made the Konami code most famous, Contra in 1988 and when you input that into the nes game uh, you get 30 lives and then if you lose those 30 lives you get a screen that says continue or end and you can put the konami code in again before hitting continue and you'll start again with 30 lives and like i said it took me 90 some lives to beat the game so that's how i beat the game in case you were wondering i don't think you were though were you um i, I was a little curious yes so since then, the Konami code has been featured in a ton, and I mean a ton, of video games. The Gradius series and the Contra series are just the tip of the iceberg. And just to give you a few more, it's been in a DDR game, it's been in a Frogger game, it's been in a Silent Hill game, and it's been in more than one Yu-Gi-Oh card video game. Hmm? Hmm? Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh. Right? Interesting. Right? And it's even been used outside of video games, too. On some devices, it's used to reset the Netflix app. What? Right? Right? There's an Easter egg on the Chromebook Pixel, where if you enter it, an LED strip on the computer blinks rapidly. Almost every voice assistant, Siri, Alexa, or wherever the hell Google has these days, they have an Easter egg. Uh, if you recite it to them. So go ahead and, and, and recite the Konami code to your voice assistant. And there are various websites that use it too. So for instance, at one time on the Bank of Canada's website, they had a commemorative $10 bill. And if you input the Konami code on the site for the bill, uh, a chiptune version of the Canadian anthem would play while the $10 bills would drop. <laughs> so it's everywhere. I mean, it's just, it's freaking everywhere. You know what I mean? Absolutely. All right. Anything that you want to add about cheat codes that I missed that you know of that I didn't talk about? Uh, uh, no. Sometimes they can be good. Just don't use them in competitive situations because that's unfair. All right. Very true. Very, very true. Well, Rob, like, as I now like to do, 
I'm going to quiz your knowledge of cheat codes throughout history. Okay? Uh-oh, here we go. I know. Today's quiz is about cheat codes, and I have 10 questions here. They are multiple choice, so it's not as difficult as last week where I made you just do it out of nowhere. And we're going to see how many of these you can get. Okay, you ready? Sure thing. Number one, which of these games was the Konami code featured in? Was it A, Castlevania Harmony of Dissidents, B, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4, Turtles in Time, C, Bioshock Infinite, or D, all of the above? Um, let me think. I don't think this Bioshock a Konami game. I'm going to have to say Turtles in Time. No, I'm sorry. The answer is, in fact, all of the above. Damn. Every one of those games had the Konami code that did something. Yeah, that's all the above. I did not think Infinite would. Well, you're right about Bioshock Infinite not being a Konami title. That is correct. And that's why I threw it in there to throw you off. But it yeah, does. Well, it, it worked. Yeah, no, it definitely does use the code. All right. Number two, Citizen Kane is the inspiration for this cheat code from the original Sims, which gives your character one thousand dollars, one thousand simoleons each time you use it. Was that cheat code a Foster as in Charles Foster Kane? B, Xanadu, as in his extravagant mansion. C, Rosebud, as in the last word he utters before dying. Or D, Citizen, as in Citizen Kane. Xanadu. No, it's Rosebud, the last word he utters before dying. So, in the original Sims, there were two different codes that could give you a thousand simoleons. There was this weird one, like, Caplacious, Caplacious, in the, like, original, original version of the game. But it was patched pretty quickly. And after that, Rosebud was the cheat code. And so Rosebud is the the one that's known. You ever seen Citizen Kane before? I have, yes. You have, yes. Yes. Rosebud. All right. Ready for the next one? Sure thing. This name, input either as a name or password in a video game, is best known for revealing the gender of one of the most iconic suited characters in the video game in video game history. Was yep. it A, Hanzo Hasashi, B, Needles Kane, C, Catherine Halsey, or D, Justin Bailey? The first one. Hanzo Hasashi? Hanzo Hasashi. No. Okay. Yeah. So, Hanzo Hasashi is the real name of Scorpion from Mortal Kombat. Needles Kane is the name of Sweet Tooth from Twisted Metal. Catherine Halsey, do you know that one? No. That's the doctor that selected John 117 or Master Chief for the Spartan program. Uh, that's why I was familiar. And Justin Bailey is the password that's used to unlock bikini-clad Samus in the original Metroid. And therefore, that was the first time that anyone found out that Samus was female. And that's what Justin Bailey is known for. Fun fact, no one knows where the hell Justin Bailey came from or who Justin Bailey is. That part hasn't been figured out yet, but that was the code they used. And when you put it in, Samus wore a bikini. So all these years later, they still have no idea where this Justin Bailey guy came from? I mean, I mean, I haven't. I, 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 I didn't dig that far, but I've never seen. I've never seen anyone be able to tell where it's from. Interesting. All right. Ready for the next one? I, I'm already failing, so let's go. 
<laughs> so the original Doom was one of the earlier games to use cheat codes that allowed the game its games to be easier for its players, right? Sure. The code for God mode, which makes Doom Guy invincible, was IDDQD. However, there is at least one game that provides the opposite effect when you enter Doom's cheat code in that it provides instant death instead of invulnerability. Can you name the game? Is it A, Heretic, B, Descent, C, Doom 3, or D, Unreal? Unreal. Nope, it's Heretic. Unreal doesn't use the cheat code. That's my. That was my throw out there. In Descent, it displays a sarcastic message from the programmers. And in Doom 3, it just displays a message that says, your memory serves you well. But in Heretic, it kills your character instantly instead of providing you invulnerability. Fun, fun, fun. You'll get one, I promise. Sure. All right. A-B-A-C-A-B-B is famously known for enabling what controversial feature in what video game? Did it A, make all the players in Tech Mobile invisible, causing a stir when kids started pranking their parents about a broken video game? Did it B, allow you to warp from any world to any other world in Super Mario Bros. 2, causing people to incorrectly declare themselves speedrunning champions of the game through spoofing this exploit? Did it C, unlock the Nazi symbols in all versions of Wolfenstein 3, allowing for said symbols to be featured in video games in countries that won't allow it? Or D, did it enable the blood mode in Mortal Kombat, which caused the game to be looked at for violence? What was the code one more time? A-B-A-C-A-B-B. I'm going to have to guess the Wolfenstein one. It's Mortal Kombat. Damn. So there was no C in Tecmo Bo or Super Mario 2 because they're NES games. Right, that's why I avoided those two. Yeah, I just kind of realized I did it. And Wolfenstein 3D was mostly a PC game. So that was the blood mode. That was how Mortal Kombat became controversial. All right, next one. All right. Which of the following games had a cheat code called DK Mode, which increased the size of all characters' heads and arms, making them look like Donkey Kong? Was it A, Goldeneye 007, B, NBA Jam, C, Batman Arkham Knight, or D, Skate 3? This one's gotta be Skate 3. Just kidding, it's Jam. No. Oh, was it actually Skate 3? No. Fuck. I don't know then. So all four of them have a big head mode. That is correct, but only one of them called it DK mode. Do you know how about that? Goldeneye. Didn't, okay. Didn't know it's that. Go, it's Goldeneye. I had never seen the big head mode in Goldeneye, honestly. It's ludicrous. All right, here's one. Which of the following games allowed you to enter cheat codes to play as famous 90s politicians such as Bill Clinton and Al Gore? Was it NHL 95, B, NBA Jam, C, NFL Blitz, or D, WCW, NWO Revenge? That last one. Nope. It was NBA Jam. Do you know? Do you, do you never play NBA Jam? Never. All right. Speaking of sports, this video game featured a cheat code which would turn all of the referees into dogs. Was it A, John Madden Football for the SNES? B, Super Dodgeball for the NES? C, Super Bases Loaded for the NES, or D, International Superstar Soccer Deluxe for the SNES? C. Nope, it was the soccer one, D. Are we just going for rock bottom here? 
You're the one who said I would get one. <laughs> well, you got two more. In this video game, pressing a single key would add $10,000 to your available funds. But after each fourth time, a disaster would occur. Was it A, The Sims 2, B, Populous, C, The Settlers, or D, Sim City? Sim City. You got one. Woo! Ooh, there you go. You gave me an easy one there. Yeah. You, you, you rigged this game, or this quiz. All right, last one. This publication, first going on sale in 1995, was a magazine focused on cheating. It published cheat codes, passwords, reviews on poke cartridges, and trainer software, alongside coverage on the gamer lifestyle. Was it A, cheat? Was it B, cheat codes? Was it C, tips and tricks? Or was it D, unlocked? Tips and tricks. You got two of them. Woohoo! Man, I made that one harder than I thought, huh? Uh, it's either that, or I just really haven't used a lot of cheat codes in my day. Mostly Grand Theft Auto and Ark. I mean, to be fair, most of the games I talked about were before your time. That probably has a lot to do with it. Yeah, that that too. I mean, there wasn't a lot of cheating once you came more into gaming because you came in the PlayStation and Xbox era. You know what I mean? Right. And by then, cheating because online became a thing was really just a thing of the past. Yeah. So here we are towards the end, which brings us as usual to how you all feel about the game you know it's always hard to find reviews on classic video games but there are always a few gamers here and there even if it's a few years later that will give their opinions over here at mobygames.com that i like to use and let me tell you there were some very passionate people when it comes to contra very passionate people rob you got all those uh moby game reviews in front of you hmm you know, I don't know, Dave. Where, where are these reviews you're asking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave. From Moby Games, user JP Gray wrote a review in 2009 that starts out with, Congratulations, you've designed the best run-and-gun platformer in the universe. Consider yourselves heroes. He starts by asking a simple question. What is the key feature for lasting enjoyment and immersion in any action game? The answer? Control. Being able to attack in eight directions, keeping character transitions quick and seamless, and maintaining pitch-perfect finesse during a jump are all essential qualities in any action-packed run-and-gun platformer. Contra exemplifies all of these qualities. Almost all deaths will result from the player's mistakes and not the limitations of the controls. You know, I'd, I'd have to agree. I, It's a solid platformer. You know, I, I only use 90-some lives because I was more intent on just rushing through it and not really playing it but i don't ever feel like controls i don't feel like it ever slowed down i um yeah i agree i think it's a, a really solid game from the control standpoint you know what i mean oh yeah it definitely controlled well i'm just trash so i die a lot you know there you go what, is. what else do you have to say he goes on to talk about the pacing saying that to play contra as it's meant to be played is to play it fast and hard the beauty of the level design and challenge is best seen under these circumstances. The death mechanic contributes to that. When you die, you don't start at the beginning of the level. You flop down from the top of the screen, getting right back into the action. You know, that's a really valid point that you never really think of until someone puts it in front of you. It does really do that. 
I've never really thought about the death mechanic from that standpoint, but a lot of older games would do that, that when you died, you had to go back to a checkpoint or back to the beginning of the level. And Contra just kind of said, here you go, keep going, here you go, keep going, here you go, keep going. So you never really let up on the action, and it never moved backwards. I think that's a really good point. It never moved backwards. You know, you always felt like you were pushing forward. And I really do feel that you get a different feel for the game or any game when that's the case. That's really interesting now that I'm thinking about it. Always moving forward, you know what I mean? Absolutely. What else did he have to say? He goes on to praise the music, sound, and overall graphics, noting that they all push action movie cliches to their highest points of cheesy fun. All in all, he calls Contra a wall-to-wall brilliant experience. Nice. Very nice. Well, Brigalad here on Moby Games calls Contra a freaking good old action shooter. And he says that the game is the typical 80s game where there was only gameplay and nothing else. And fortunately, the gameplay in Contra is amazing, making it an amazing game. And he echoes your guys' uh, sentiment and that he says that the controls are almost perfect. He notes here that the game is challenging at first, but after you master each stage and each single detail of them by ear, he says the game is a lot less hard. I don't know if I have the patience to memorize the game. I guess when you don't have a lot of games like they did back then, you probably did play this over and over. Well, that was the only way to get through it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would agree. Brigalod, Brigalod, I don't know. He says that even if the game is great, he notes that there are a couple of small details that are disappointing. Stage two and four called the base stages are special. He calls them difficult and definitely not interesting. They were these weird stages that you were like at the bottom of the screen shooting up and going through like a hallway. They're called the base stages and they are not side scrolling stages. They're more like top down. Yeah, stages and they were kind of weird. They are weird. They are very weird. And he also notes that he doesn't like the faces of the heroes of the title screen. He says on the box, they look okay, but on the title screen, they just look like plain old idiot brutes, and that makes you hate them before you even start the game. So, go Brigalod. So, Brigalod's not the only one who had something negative to say about the game. Much like him, Jeff Koner had mostly good things to say, though. He starts out by saying that if you haven't played this game yet, that he feels bad for you. The gameplay is ridiculously responsive, and it doesn't slow down in multiplayer. He also notes that the second and fourth stages are a little strange, but he calls them no less fun than the others. And he goes on to write that if you run out of lives when you die, and you will, you'll be pleased to find out that you can take your partner's lives. Well, we already talked about that. It was a mechanic that was weird. It was a mechanic that was different, and it it did lead to a little bit of, of bickering lead to a little bit of bickering. And speaking of, Jeff goes on to note that rather than bickering over lives, your time is better spent fighting the real enemies in this game. He specifically writes, I'm not talking about the gorillas in the bush, or even those scorpion-looking aliens. I'm talking about the F items. They masquerade as power-ups, but be careful not to collect them unless you enjoy being F'd over by a weapon that moves the breakneck <laughs> speed of Glacier Melt. And for those of you who don't remember, the F was the flamethrower power-up, which in the original Contra fired slow-moving fireballs that make a little circle as they move forward. It's, uh, yeah, it could definitely not do well for you. Yeah. Well, there you have it. You know, so Con- Contra was a good game. Great, perhaps, but it definitely wasn't perfect. 
I guess on that note, I don't really have anything else about Contra or cheat codes. Is there anything that you would like to add? Uh, Contra is really hard. Play it. Have fun. <laughs> get get beat a few times, and then, you know, you're eventually going to win it. Because like Dave said, after so many lives, eventually you got to get to the end. Very true. just give up. Very, very true. Don't do that. Give it a try. Give it a try. Well, let's move on to the gaming question of the week, shall we? Uh, that we shall. So in modern games, microtransactions are essentially the paid cheats in many gamers' eyes. And so that got me thinking, what single game do you think you've spent the most money on? Rock Band. Rock Band? You've spent the most money on Rock Band? Hey, oh, man, that, to get that's... all of the equipment and the game, it was costly. That's a really good answer. I didn't, th- I didn't even think about it from the hardware standpoint. That's probably true. I was thinking for me, Borderlands 2, because I bought all the additional DLC and content as it came on, and I don't normally buy DLC for any game. So I was thinking about it from like the amount of money I put into a single game that standpoint, but you're probably damn right about Rock Band. You know, if, if we did exclude the hardware content, I would have to say that it would be Tarkov, because uh, I did pay full price for the Edge of Darkness edition because it's a game that I really enjoy, and I think that it's a great concept and wanted to support the creators. And, you know, you do get some other extra stuff out of it, which is nice, but it's it's a lot about wanting the game to get better, and sometimes that means contributing to it financially, you know? That's why free games I'm not always opposed to paying a little extra for, because if I enjoy the game enough that I'm spending hours playing it, someone deserves to get paid for their time and effort. Right on. Yeah, that's a very good point. I, I do think the Rock Band is a good a good plug and you're probably right about having spent a lot of money on rock band because absolutely but i think nowadays it's much easier to spend more money on something like different costumes in fortnite oh yeah there's so many skins on fortnite these days so many skins man i can't i see i enjoy these games without spending money on it and i'm the person that developers hate i i can't imagine spending all the money although i do the season pass in rocket league so i guess i'm a little hypocritical of myself. Well, I think that'll do it for this episode. Is there anything that you want to add? Uh, as always, I just want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. It means the world to us. Uh, even if we don't know you're there, we just love knowing that there's someone out there getting some enjoyment out of this as much as we enjoy it. If you do want to maybe let us know how you feel, maybe you disagree with Dave or I, there is definitely some ways you can do that. Dave, why don't you hit him with it? Yeah, so I'm going to start by saying that uh, the if you like what you hear phase, probably more importantly, you can support us by going to our Patreon. I, I dig that. And becoming a patron of ours for just $2 a month. You know, we, we would appreciate the support. We would use the money to pay for our web and podcast hosting space and other tools that would make our podcasting and community better. Real simple that if you like to give to help support us, you could go to patreon.com slash trip down memory card lane or to our website at memorycardlane.com where there's a link to our Patreon. On said website is where else you could tell us if you agree or disagree with us because, among other things, you have the ability to submit either by email or there's a submission form where you could submit comments, concerns, criticisms, stories. You can also give us your 
if you have gaming questions of the week, you could give that too. Um, what else can they find on our website, Rob? You may also find look back at our old episodes as well as a calendar to look at our future episodes. Ooh. You can find links to join our Discord community if you want to talk to us or game with us. You could definitely do that. Um, speaking of calendar, Rob, we do need more gaming questions of the week. So if you're listening to us and you have another uh, an interesting question, it'd be nice to hear some of your questions and not always use mine or your stories or what have you. But really gaming questions of the week. I think that there are some really creative people out there and you guys could probably do better than me. Also, I post the show notes for every episode on our website, and I actually take the quizzes that I I quiz Rob on, and I turn them into actual quizzes that you can take uh, for yourself to test your knowledge of cheat codes or send to your friends to test their knowledge of cheat codes. Also on our website, you can find links to our other social media. In case you didn't know, we're on Facebook these days. So search for A Trip Down Memory Card Lane on Facebook and tell all your friends. You can find a link to my social media. I'm on Twitter as David underscore is underscore wrong, where I post about Rocket League and I wish video games a happy birthday and talk about uh, other history, you know, gaming history related stuff, because that's what I like to do here on the podcast. So that continues on my Twitter as well. Rob, what uh, what what social media are you up to these days? Well, Dave, occasionally I can be found streaming whatever game feels right at the moment on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. Nice. Very, very nice. Well, I think that'll about wrap it up for this week. huh? You got anything... Anything else else like a PPS that you want to add? Mm. All I have is ha ha ha. David said PP. <laughs> All right. Well, next week, we're going to be taking a look at one of the granddaddies of the survival horror genre. Uh, we're going to take it back once again to 1999 because, you know, Dave loves to party like it's 1999. And in case you were wondering, yes, I'm going to use that joke every time I do a game in 1999. So, yeah, back in 1999, we got a game, uh, the first and probably the one of the most iconic survival horror game franchises that now has films and video games and comic books and a failed game <laughs> that everyone wants to be made into a real game. All sorts of fun stuff. So, in case you don't know what I'm talking about, Rob, you got any idea? Well, Dave, I'm going to have to take a swing out of left field and say it's Silent Hill. Yeah, we're going to be talking about Silent Hill next week, guys. All about spooky towns and pyramid-headed ladies. We're going to be doing a quiz on horror game characters or video game characters. Just a, a whole lot of fun things that we're going to be doing, so... That sounds interesting to you. Go ahead and join us again next week as we take a spooky trip down memory card lane. Do that thing. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da